we praise you for what you have done. Lord, may our hearts prepare room for our King. You are worthy to be worshipped. Amen. Over the last two Sundays here, we have looked at two Old Testament passages, Psalm 110 and 2 Samuel 7. We were looking ahead to the king. We were putting ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites before Christ was born, and we were asking the question, what would it look like for the king to come? Well, I'm going to give away the end of the story now, and I think you know this one, that uh, the king did come some 2,000 years ago. Baby Jesus was born, and he is the king of kings. Now, there were some amazing promises given about this king. He would reign forever. He would triumph over his enemies. There were other things spoken of about this king that were truly amazing, and the people were looking forward to them. They were longing for this king to come. And yet, when this king came, many people did not recognize him. Why is that? I think what happened is that this this king that was born, Jesus Christ, didn't line up with the picture of what some people thought a king should look like. And truth be told, that's still what happens in our day and age all too often. Too many people, even people who call themselves Christians, don't recognize, don't live their lives according to the truth that Jesus is the king of kings. And I think it's because perhaps we have a hard time truly seeing that he is king. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about this king who has come. I want to compare and contrast him with what we might assume a king should look like or what a king should do. We're going to look at some Bible passages and we're going to to compare Jesus to, to what we know about monarchs today. But the point is God has sent our king We should recognize him, and not just recognize him, but live our lives according to who he is. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to point out eight ways that we might recognize a king. And then we're going to take a look at how King Jesus lines up. And then after we do that, we're going to ask the so what question, the the what do we do now that we've learned these things. So eight things about a king to help us understand what a king would look like. So point number one, you can follow along in your bulletin here. A king has a throne. Now again, when we think of kings, we often have pictures in our minds. And we, one of the things that we might picture is a throne. And for us in America, we don't have a king here. So oftentimes when we think about a king or a monarch, we think about England and their monarchs there. And currently they have Queen Elizabeth, who is their queen, their monarch. And I was doing a little bit of research on Queen Elizabeth and Buckingham Palace this week, and I I wanted to get a glimpse of the throne that Queen Elizabeth sits on. And I figured that it would be ornate, but when I clicked on it, it was like, boy, you need sunglasses, even just looking at this thing on the computer. It is the most ornate thing, one of, by all earthly standards, one of the most majestic rooms that you could imagine. The chandelier alone, just so sparkly and shiny. And and it's this big, huge room with thrones in it. And it's really not difficult then if, if you see Queen Elizabeth sitting on her throne there it's really not difficult to realize that she's the Queen of England what about Jesus he was the rightful king of Israel 
we looked at these, these verses last week in 2 Samuel 7 that talked about this coming king to sit on the throne of David. And, I, and Bonnie read these verses. I want to read them again from Luke 1, 31 to 32. This is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus is the heir to the throne of David. This is the exact fulfillment of what we looked at last week in 2 Samuel 7. That king is here. Yet, when he was born, the nation of Israel was squarely underneath the thumb of Roman rule. There was no Israelite king. There was no Israelite throne. So in that sense, it kind of didn't look like Jesus was king. And one of the things that we need to understand is that the heavenly appearances, or excuse me, the earthly appearances don't always match the heavenly reality. And that's certainly what we see going on here with King Jesus. He, he does have a throne, though, and that's one of the things that, that we need to understand. We, 2,000 years ago, and even today, people look at King Jesus and kind of look at him like, oh, I don't know if that's the king that I want. But listen to the heavenly heavenly reality in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. So Jesus is King. It just just might not have looked like it when He was born. Second one here. A king has a palace. Now again, if we think of Buckingham Palace, we think of something very majestic. And if you were in the market for buying a palace, uh, I just have one piece of advice for you. You might want to go and get pre-approval from your bank because uh, you're going to need to carry with you about $5 billion if, if you want to buy that place. It's, it's not up for sale right now, but if for some reason it were, people suggested it would probably sell for over $5 billion. That's the place where Queen Elizabeth lives and the kings and queens before her as well. It's one of the highest honors in England just to be invited to this palace. Well, what about Jesus? Where did he live? Well, when he was born, he was placed in a manger, which is just a really nice way of saying a feeding trough the animals would eat out of. Now, I have a prediction here. Uh, It's not a prophecy, it's just a prediction. As many of you know, Prince William and Kate are pregnant, and they are expecting a baby. And this baby, well, Prince William is next in line to the throne, and his child, whether son or daughter is going to be next in line after him. And I have a prediction about that baby. That that baby will not be placed in a feeding trough upon his birth. (laughs) I'm not a betting man, but I I might even be willing to take a bet on that one. (laughs) Jesus was placed in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Now you might say, well that's just his birth. What about the rest of his life? Where did he live? Now we don't know much about his boyhood. We probably assume that he lived in in the home with Mary and Joseph where he grew up. But in his adult life then, when he began his public ministry, there were people that were coming up to him and saying, Jesus, I'd like to follow you. And to one of them, he warned them with this verse in Luke 9.58. Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. As we well know, at the end of his life, he was placed on a cross. And after that, as it says in Isaiah 53, He was assigned a grave with the wicked. There was no kingly palace. There was no kingly burial for Jesus. And again, perhaps these are some of the reasons 
why people failed to recognize him as king. Third one here. A king has wealth. Well, let's consider another king here, King David. We, I preached on this one a few months ago when we were going through our capital campaign. King David led the Israelites through their capital campaign. And, and to kick off their capital campaign, King David gave from his own personal treasure to this process. And, and he gave a bunch of gold. And, and when I say a bunch, I mean tons. And it tells us specifically how many tons in the Bible. 110 tons of gold. I, I, I looked this up here. In, in today's money, that's about $5.6 billion worth of gold that King David gave. If you were to have met King David at that time, you would have met somebody who looked like a king with just storehouses and storehouses of gold. Where do you store 110 tons of gold? And that was just his personal wealth, and that was just part of it. What about King Jesus? How much wealth did he have? Well, it looks like the only earthly possessions that he had at the end of his life were the clothes on his back. And again, this is perhaps one reason why people failed to recognize Jesus as king. But I want to point out a heavenly reality here. Jesus gave up unimaginable wealth to come to be our Savior. Since eternity past, he had been reigning in heaven with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in unimaginable glory that we can't even begin to comprehend. And, and there's a verse that was standing out to me when we were going through our capital campaign. The Apostle Paul, uh, there's a verse that talks about his reasoning for why he was urging the Corinthians to give money. And he said it has to do with Jesus. Listen to what he said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus came to a place where there was no place for him even to be set in a crib. He was set in a manger. Yet when we think about the heavenly reality and what we gave up, I think that there should be this sense of awe, this sense of gratitude for what Jesus gave up to be with us. So no, he may not have looked the part, but that's because we haven't seen the full picture yet. That's because we haven't seen Jesus reigning at the right hand of the Father in unimaginable majesty. But that's the truth of who he is. See, the, the same Jesus who came to be born on earth, poor parents, placed in the manger, that's the same Jesus is King of Kings and will reign in glory forever. Fourth way that we might recognize a king is that a king has a kingdom. And again, this is another reason why people may have failed to recognize Jesus as king. Kings usually have lands and people. What did King Jesus have? He had a group of ragtag followers that abandoned him on the day of his arrest. Many people looked at Jesus and said, well, you're a king? What do you mean you're a king? Where's your kingdom? But did Jesus have a kingdom? In Luke 1.33, again, the the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. For those of you that were here the last couple of weeks, we looked at Psalm 110 that talked about this king reigning forever. We looked at 2 Samuel 7 last week, and three times in that little passage it said forever he would reign. 
And now the angel announces the birth, and sure enough, here is the king of kings who will reign forever over his kingdom. Jesus said as much. In his first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark, he said, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So yes, Jesus is the king of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now you can see Pontius Pilate struggling with this. This is a fascinating scene to me. Jesus was handed over to be arrested. And he was put on trial, but the Jews couldn't put him to death, so they had to send him to the Roman governors. And they they sent him to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate had to determine whether or not, in his mind, this man deserved to die. And, And he had heard some things about Jesus. Listen to this interaction between Jesus and Pilate in John 18, starting in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus was born to be king. Yet it didn't look like it to us. He looked like a common poor man. And that was the rub for Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was looking at him and saying, You? Are you a king? And I think that's the rub for us still today. We look at Jesus and maybe we become so familiar with Jesus or our own concept of Jesus that we look at him and say, you're the king, really? Later on, as Pilate was talking to Jesus and, and talking to the Jews as well, the Jews made Pilate choose where his allegiance would lie. In verse 12, it says, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Apparently, he had this thought about him. Oh, I I don't think he deserves to die. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. See, Pontius Pilate didn't want to lose his allegiance to King Caesar. At that moment, Pilate had to choose. And he didn't choose King Jesus. And again, that's the rub for all of us. There are many things in our lives that we might set up as king or queen. Or actually what what usually happens is that we set ourselves up as king or queen. And then we're confronted with Jesus and he claims to be the king of kings. And that's where we need to decide who our king is, who's in control of our lives. King Jesus demands our allegiance. That leads me on to my next point, number five. A king has decrees. This is what kings do. They give orders. I don't want to spend much time on this one right now because we'll get back to it in point number eight. But for now, I simply want to say that King Jesus did give decrees. In fact, 23 times in the Gospels alone, he said, follow me. Follow me. One of the simplest yet most important decrees that's ever been uttered on the face of this earth. And if Jesus is king... We need to listen to that decree. Because he himself said, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Okay, let's move on now. 
Number six, a king has subjects. Similarly to what we talked about with the kingdom here, what good is a king if nobody's following him? I want you to think about the Middle East right now. Over the last couple of years, what we've been seeing in several different nations in the Middle East, we've been seeing these uprisings, these revolts, these people in these countries saying about their leaders, we don't want to follow you anymore. Whether that's a king or a dictator or a president or whoever it is that's set up, there are so many people in that part of the world saying, we have a king, but we don't want to follow him. And sometimes they've been successful in, in leading these revolts, these uprisings. They've actually thrown over some governments. Other governments have been able to withstand the revolts and, and they remain. But a king is only king so long as he's in power. And some people will revolt, revolt and try to take that power away from the king. And that certainly rings true for King Jesus. I want to walk you through just part of John 6. I, I've preached on John 6 before and I'm just going to touch on some pieces of it now. But John 6 is a time when Jesus had just done a miraculous thing. He had, he had fed a bunch of people miraculously and the people started to say, wow, who is this guy? I, I kind of like following this guy. I kind of like this free lunch I'm getting. I like the other things he can do for me too. And, and these people came up with this idea, let's make him our king. And, and they went to Jesus and they tried to do that. They tried to make him king. And you know what Jesus' response was? It says he slipped away from them. He didn't want to be that kind of a king on those terms. And I think what happened then is Jesus said, okay, you want to follow me? I'll tell you what you need to do to follow me. And in John 6, he gave one of the most difficult teachings to follow. In verse 66, of chapter 6, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Some of those same people who are saying, Jesus, we want you to be our king. After hearing Jesus' teachings, they said, Oh, thanks, but no thanks. How would you respond? Jesus was watching these people leave, and he turned to his disciples. In verse 67, he said to them, You do not want to leave too, do you? How would you respond? The point I'm getting at here is that we can only serve one king. Either Jesus is king or we pretend that somebody or something else is king and we follow that. And this is where I love Peter's response. Jesus asked him, you do not want to leave too, do you? In verses 68 and 69, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He said, Jesus, I don't know where else I'd go because you're the king. He said to him then, You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's response was to submit to King Jesus and to follow him. And that should be our response too because he is the King of Kings. King number seven. A king has a crown. Now this is one of the simplest ways to spot a monarch in our day and age. Queen Elizabeth has a crown. Uh, her crown comes with a, a bit of a high price tag on it, though, again. Her crown valued at about $6.5 million. It's a pretty expensive hat, I think. If you're at the hat store and you see a hat with a price tag of $6.5 million, I suggest you not touch it because you don't want to break it. But uh, that, that's her hat that she gets to wear. What about King Jesus? The only crown mentioned in the Gospels is what? crown of thorns that's what King Jesus got to wear it was a crown 
made specially for him by the soldiers who were about to crucify him, to mock him and to inflict pain on him before they nailed him to the cross. Now, as I said earlier, the earthly appearances didn't always match the heavenly realities. The people of this world sent Jesus to die. But in a sobering way, that's why Jesus came. As we think today, as we celebrate today the fact that God in His mercy sent our Savior to us as baby Jesus, as we picture Him perhaps being laid in that manger and we think about Mary and Joseph smiling and the shepherds coming and rejoicing and the wise men coming and giving their gifts, I think we should also think about why Jesus came. And He came to die. Now He is the King of Kings and He will reign forever. And yes, He lived in unimaginable glory since eternity past. But He came to this earth to die. It was the soldiers who put nails in His hands and feet. But according to Isaiah 53, it was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. Jesus came willingly to pay our ransom, to die for our sins. The one who is King of Kings was treated as a blasphemer and a criminal and was sent to be killed. The question that we need to be asking ourselves now is what side we're on. We either need to submit to Jesus as King of Kings or we choose to remain in our sins. Those those are really the only two options there. Jesus came to set us free from our sins. We either submit to Him or we reject Him and keep living our own ways. And this leads me to my last point here. Number eight, a king has complete authority. Complete authority. Kings don't rule by majority opinion. (coughs) Even though they often have many counselors, they're not subject to the opinions of others. They rule from on top. Think of King Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. He made an image of gold and he demanded that peoples, nations, and men of every language must fall down and worship. And if not, the consequence for them was to be thrown into a blazing furnace. How would you like that if, uh, if our Congress tried to pass that law? Uh, that, that wouldn't really work in a democracy. That only works when you have a king ruling from on top. And, and the reason that King Nebuchadnezzar could do that is because he was king and he had the authority to do that. If a king says something, his subjects need to take notice of it or, or heed the consequences. Now, as I said before, Jesus made decrees too. And like I said, one of the most important decrees that he gave was the simple one, follow me. So now what I'm picturing is King Jesus, and we're trying to recognize him as king, even though he doesn't look the part, but he is king of kings. He says, follow me. And the question that we have to be asking ourselves in ourselves is, does he have the authority to say that? And my answer is yes. Why? Why does Jesus have that authority? Well, I believe the resurrection proves it. In John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. 
Jesus told his followers ahead of time what was going to happen three times in the Gospel of Mark alone. He predicted that he was going to die and then three days later rise again. And then here's where I think the resurrection is so important. And I think that the resurrection is one of the main apologetics in the Bible and in our lives. Because I believe that the one who has power over death is the king of kings. Think about that. Think about a king living in earthly splendor. A king who has everything that he could possibly want. He has... What kind of a gift could you get that person that he couldn't just buy for himself? He has everything that he needs. Yet how many kings that have lived on this earth have desired one thing they couldn't get? Immortality. Kings sit on their thrones, and and you you picture them. They have all this wealth. They have all the gold they need. If they wanted a a Nintendo, they could go and buy it. If they want whatever, they could go and buy it. They could have people go get something for them. But how many kings have scratched their heads and thought to themselves, I'm going to die sometime. And all that I have here is going to come to nothing for me. Well, that's where we see the true power of Jesus, the King of Kings. He died, but he rose again. And that is why I believe he has the authority to command us what to do. Because he is the king of kings. He has power over death, power over everything. If Jesus is king, then he has complete authority. And if he has complete authority, then we need to listen to him. So what I've done so far today is I've tried to, tried to show you how Jesus is king. Again, it, he might not have looked the part. If we were to have met him 2,000 years ago, we might have thought, really? That's the king? But I, I've tried to show you that yes, indeed, he is the king. And now I want to ask the so what question. What do we do? How should we respond to this king? Many people missed out on King Jesus. Maybe it's because... He wasn't the kind of king that they were looking for. Maybe he didn't have the kingly grandeur that they were looking for. Or maybe, and this one might hit a little closer to home for us, maybe they just didn't want to follow what he was saying. Jesus makes some pretty strong claims on our lives. And we need to listen to him. I'm standing here before you suggesting that Jesus is the King of Kings. And it's not just me saying that. Listen to what the Bible says. Revelation 19.16, Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Hebrews 2, 7 and 9, both say that Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor. The question then is, will you submit to this King? And there's two ways to submit to him, and this is how I want to close. Two ways, and, and it's not like you get to pick one or the other, it's both of them. First way is that we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King. That's who he is. That's why he came. He's not just baby Jesus. He's also Jesus the King. He's also Jesus the Savior. For him to be Savior, it means that he rescues us from our sins. That penalty that we could never pay, he paid so that we could have eternal life. But it doesn't just stop there because he's not just Savior. He's not just passing out those get-out-of-hell-free cards. He's also the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he's demanding our allegiance from us. And if he demands our allegiance, that means 
that we don't have authority to run our own lives anymore. And that's a scary thought. It, it should be, in one sense, a scary thought because our flesh rebels against this thought. Our flesh, our sinful nature says, no, I want to be in control. And even us Christians sometimes, we follow that voice. But what the King of Kings asks is that we submit to Him. That we give our lives to Him. And when you give your life to Him, there's no taking it back. You don't have that authority anymore. We give our life to our Savior, our Lord and our King. And then second, once we've done that, once we've given our lives to Him, then we live every day of the rest of our lives in submission to Him, worshiping Him. I love the picture here of the Magi, those wise men from the East who came to offer gifts. Matthew 2.11, again, I'll read it. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped Him. Then they opened their treasures and presented Him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Gifts fit for a king. Jesus is worthy of our worship, our devotion, our service, of anything that we could give to Him. So what does that look like for us on a daily basis? Well, I, I don't think it means like the wise man taking a hundred day journey on camelback and giving a gift of gold. That's, that was a kind of a one-time deal that they got to do, and, and we don't, that's not really the way that we worship now. So how do we worship now? That's a question, by the way, that you should be asking yourself daily. How do I worship God? What does that look like for me? And I'll just give you my personal answer. When I think about worshiping God, I think about three daily practices. And I know some of you know what I'm going to talk about here, and that's good because I, I want you to know this. This is what I have found to be an effective pattern of worshiping God. Not that it's all that I do, but if I'm committing myself daily to these three things, I feel like I'm opening myself up to God so that He can lead me. What are the three things? <coughs> Praying, reading the Bible, and maintaining fellowship with other Christians. In my heart of hearts, I want to submit my life to God. So I say to Him daily, God, I'm going I'm to read Your Word. I'm going to open myself up to what You have to say to me. And as I've said before, I think one of the most humble things that we can do is open up God's Word and say, God, teach me. Lead me. Show me. And that's why I've committed to doing that every day. So that the pattern of my life matches up with this desire of my heart to worship God. It's the same reason I pray. Maintaining that constant contact with God. Going to Him and talking to Him about what's going on in my life. Asking for help. Asking for direction. Worshiping Him in prayer as well. Thanking Him for who He is and what He's done. And then maintaining fellowship with believers because we weren't created to do this life on our own. We were designed to teach each other and to be taught by each other. So that's my answer. What's your answer? How do you worship Christ daily. Ultimately, what we're trying to do here is to live our lives in light of the fact that Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus taught us how to do that in the Lord's Prayer. One little phrase that I love, your kingdom come, actually it's two phrases, your will be done. It's that submission. It's that recognition that I am not King Jesus is. And we submit to Him daily. 
Jesus Christ is King. It might not look the part sometimes. It might not feel like it sometimes. And oftentimes we will be tempted to live our lives according to our own ways. But what I hope you've seen today is that Jesus is the King of Kings and that our response should be to worship Him. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this plan of salvation, this plan of eternal life for us that results in glory for you. And thank you, King Jesus, for coming. May we recognize you as the King of Kings, even though we don't see you now. We don't see you reigning at the right hand of the Father, but we know that that's where you are. May we live our lives accordingly. May we submit to and and worship you. May we give you honor and glory by the way that we live our lives in submission to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.